Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. As per usual, a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to talk with our buddy Peter Schrager in a few. We've got Kurt Menefee stopping by the show. We've got a preview of tonight's Panthers-Bears game coming up. But before we do any of that, as promised, we're halfway through the season. What better time to go through some mid-season awards, hand out some fake hardware as decided by you. Our listeners, so if you don't like who wins the awards, please don't yell at me. This was decided by y'all on social media during the week. We put up a few fan votes. We're going to get to some second-half predictions. We're going to get to some individual awards. I'm going to talk to Peter about a couple of these. But at the top of the show, too many award shows wait for the end to give out the big one. Just let me know the big award. Let me get on with my night. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to start with the granddaddy, the big one, NFL MVP, the award that everybody gets all worked up about. We put it to a vote for you, the fans. Came up with four finalists based on the first half of the season. We had Patrick Mahomes. We had Jalen Hurts. We had Tua Tungavailoa. And we had Lamar Jackson through nine weeks of the season, heading into the second half of the year. It was decided by y'all, the first half MVP None other than Baltimore's own Lamar Jackson. Can't really say I disagree with the decision. Lamar Jackson, not a gaudy statistical start to the season, but an incredibly efficient one. I guess before we get into Lamar, all four worthy candidates, I think the the issue here for me, if I'm the one doing it, A, I think Patrick Mahomes is just a victim of his own success. He's been phenomenal all season long. He's a big part of the reason why the Chiefs are on top of the AFC, but he's a two-time MVP. He's the best quarterback alive right now. His resume, not as amazing as it could look. Plenty of time to change that. I think he's a victim of his own expectations. Tua Tungavailoa, playing with a guy that deserves MVP consideration in his own right. Tyreek Hill on pace for a 2,000-yard season. That'll do a little bit to take votes away. Same thing could be said for Jalen Hurts. Not his fault he plays with A.J. Brown, not to his fault either, but I do think Lamar Jackson is more clear-cut as a guy who is 
the nexus of the Baltimore offense. Yes, he does have more weapons than he's used to. We know they went and got Odell Beckham. We know they drafted Zay Flowers, but still Lamar Jackson seems like the focal point of this Baltimore offense. And I think that's why he is a favorite to be MVP. That's why he's our MVP halfway through the season. Look, the numbers might not blow you away, but like I said, they're incredibly efficient. Lamar Jackson is completing 71.5% of his passes. It's the best in the NFL this season. It's the best of his career. And for all the talk about how low these stats might be, he's on pace for the highest passing total of his NFL career. He's averaging nine more passing yards per game than he did during his MVP season. So not a ton more, but he is averaging more in the passing game. More important than just the totals, like I said, is I think how efficient he's been with the ball. Three interceptions on the season. He hasn't thrown a pick in a month. His average of an interception every 1.2% of his throws is second best in the NFL. The only guy, the only starter in national football league, who's doing a better job of avoiding interceptions. Ironically is rookie CJ Stroud. We'll have plenty more to say about CJ in a little while, but he is taking amazing care of the football. Yes. At least as a passer, I will say if there is a criticism of Lamar Jackson, he has lost six fumbles so far this season. Clearly not great. Clearly something I think he would like to clean up going into the second half of the year. But the trade-off, which so many other quarterbacks can't say, Lamar and Jalen Hurts clearly are guys that can, the trade-off for the fumbles, 440 rushing yards and five touchdowns so far this season. Lamar Jackson is a top 20 rusher in the NFL. He has a full 124 rushing yards more than Jalen Hurts. Remember, Jalen's kind of hampered by that knee injury right now. Lamar has an outside shot at his first thousand yard rushing season since 2020. So all told right now, even though the numbers are down, Lamar is on pace for 3,700 yards this season, rushing and passing. He's got an outside shot at 4,000 total yards, which is the territory he was in when he was a unanimous MVP back in 2019. And the crazy thing is it can still, it can get so much better. A big part of the reason the passing numbers are down, well, A, they've been in a lot of blowouts over the last few weeks where they haven't had to do a whole lot of throwing the football in the second half of games. I think that's going to change. Ravens still have three division games remaining. Remember, the entire AFC North would be in the playoffs today if the season ended. So that's three big stakes games against the likes of Cleveland this weekend. You got Cincinnati and Pittsburgh on the horizon. Baltimore's also got games against Jacksonville, San Francisco, and Miami. So six of their last eight are against teams that would make the playoffs if the season ended today. I have a feeling, A, Lamar's going to need to throw the ball a little bit more to beat these teams, and B, if the Ravens do play well against that competition, he's going to have plenty of opportunity to put up numbers in big-time spotlight games. And then on top of that, the the up and downs of this Ravens offense, I don't know are doing him any favors either. I know everybody can point to drop passes, miscues, things like that. That's not the point, but particularly in the case of the Ravens, one game stands out in particular. It's this, it's the loss to Pittsburgh about a month ago, seven drops in that game, three of which could have been touchdowns. So not only if one game goes slightly differently, not only are the Ravens eight and one tied for the best record in football, but Lamar Jackson has probably 150 more passing yards and two, three more touchdowns to his name. If Lamar Jackson was sitting on a 12 to three touchdown to interception ratio, in addition to being eight and one at the midpoint of the season, 
I don't think very many people would be pushing back on the idea that he is a worthy NFL MVP candidate. Plenty of football left, but even without gaudy numbers, I think Lamar Jackson is completely deserving. He's taking amazing care of the football. He's operating that new Baltimore offense under Todd Monken extremely well. And by the way, the Ravens, the Ravens have one of the best records in football, and they're a fluky game or two from being the best record in football. I will not be surprised if Lamar does wind up taking home a second MVP trophy, but some really, really hot competition, certainly not writing off Patrick Mahomes. I, I would never, Kansas City fans, I would never. Tua Tungavailoa, Jalen Hurts, plenty of other candidates as well. If Tyree Kill keeps doing what he's doing, I've got no problem seeing a wide receiver win MVP. That would be an incredible story. But for right now, it is Lamar Jackson. I feel pretty good about that. All right. That leads us to one of my favorite parts of the week. As always, on Thursdays, we catch up with Fox NFL insider Peter Schrager in our weekly cheat sheet presented to you by Honda. Had a chance to talk to Peter not only about C.J. Stroud, who, spoiler alert, should be the runaway favorite for NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Also talked about NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And oh, by the way, some big-time quarterback news in the NFL this week. We caught up with Peter about all of that. Check it out. All right, Peter, just as we are sitting down for this conversation, I see on my social media timeline that 10 rookie quarterbacks are set (laughs) to start in the NFL at some point this season, which is a new NFL record. It's it's just been that type of season. I think new guys getting a shot all over the league. We we talked about T- Tyson Bajan a couple weeks ago. The guy I want to start with, though, decidedly not a rookie. Uh, Carson Wentz, now an L.A. Ram. There's a lot of different directions we can go with this. For starters, I would love your opinion on whether – you know, does does this indicate that the Rams are in a little more trouble with Matthew Stafford than we initially thought, or are they just covering their bases because Brett Rippon was was less than impressive in Green Bay the other day? I think it's the latter. So I think Stafford, the hope is they have a bye week and then he'll be able to go after this. But they, they, Brett Rippon was not good on Sunday, and when he's not good and you're not even good enough to run the basic elements of the offense, the whole thing is shut down. And is he the scapegoat? I don't know, but they wanted to just erase that Sunday from maybe existence of ever existing. Like I, I, I think that was truly a move where it's not like, hey, let's keep him around. He's on the practice. They waved Brett Rippon like that. He is not a member of the LA Rams anymore, and that might not be fair to him. I don't think the game uh, was anything to to sing about from anyone on that Rams coaching staff or players. But it almost feels like to get the stench of that game out of the building and that experience in green Bay, Brett Rippon took this one. And now they go to a veteran guy and Wentz, who I don't think he's making much more than the veteran minimum. I think if, if you want to talk about being humbled, he's coming in here in week 10. Um, he's going to join the Rams. I don't think he's got a relationship with Stafford. So it's not like Stafford handpicked him. Like he, you know, he didn't have any say in this. I don't think so. It's an interesting decision. They're like, you know what? We just need a veteran quarterback who can come in and run this thing. From what I'm told, um, Wentz has not been like working out for teams and whether that's by him or by the agent, like they weren't sending him on auditions. It was basically like, you know what you're getting with Carson Wentz. He's not going to come out there and try to try out for 36, you know, 32 NFL teams. So here he comes and there's a legit chance that like they need to play with Carson Wentz down the stretch here. If a Stafford's thumb is not back to where it needs to be, or B Stafford gets hurt in some other way. So uh, I thought it was really interesting. Um, 
I know how disappointed they were with how that game was in Green Bay. Like they were upset. They lost to Pittsburgh. They were upset. They lost, uh, you know, the other game that they had recently. I forget who it was two weeks ago. Like the Eagles, like they were bombed. I know that. I talked to the Rams. Sunday was an embarrassment. The Cowboys game was bad, but Sunday was an embarrassment. And uh, Brett Rippon was there since March. They brought him on. He is beloved, like as far as in the quarterback's room. But like when you have to actually play, like you have to get it done and he didn't. And I think... Not that he's the fall guy or anything, but uh, the move sounds pretty, pretty much like we're ready to move on and not experience what we did in week nine ever again with that game against the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I mean, we critique so many quarterbacks and um, rightfully so. It's a visible position. I get it. But I don't know. There's a, there's a difference between middling and bad quarterback play. And then, you know, when you finish with with that type of performance with three points, whatever it was, sub sub 200 yards, sub 150 yards. I think that's just another level. I'm curious about what you just said, though. I mean, look, I'm rooting for Matthew Stafford to stay healthy. Uh, The Rams have been surprisingly fun when he has been, but it seems like a pretty solid bet. We are going to see Carson Wentz in game action by January. Uh, And I'm just, I'm fascinated to see what that looks like. Yeah. And, so are they, I think if he has to play, like, let's see. And God, uh, for all he's been through over the last few years, where run out of Philly, run out of Washington, run out of Indianapolis. All right. So a week 10 pickup. Let's see what Carson Wentz is left. Apparently healthy. We know he can sling it. Um, He's been waiting for an opportunity. So here we are. I, I think legitimately, I don't think the Rams are winning the Super Bowl this year. So, they can hopefully win some games with Stafford. I mean, I, I would like to think that Stafford's going to be back on the field sooner rather than later, and they could still compete. But it has to be Carson Wentz. Let's see what we got. Maybe a backup for the future, and maybe he can resurrect his career. I hate what I'm about to say, but he was pretty good in 2021. Not not last year. Not after you know what he got shipped him? out of Indy. What killed him was the Week 17 game oh, against was, the Jet Jaguars. I mean, yeah. They were a one-win team. And the owner basically went around after it was like, he will never play for this team again based on that. Yeah. Uh, let, that let the league know that, which didn't help Wentz's reputation at all. Worst case scenario, I'm stealing this joke from Twitter, but there's no new jokes under the sun. But worst case scenario, we get a photo of Carson Wentz later on adding the like Rams towel yeah. to his uh, yeah. collection of former teams. The glove, the, the quarterback glove. You know, it's it, it's funny because you mentioned that 2021 season and it's like not one for the history books. No one's going back and talking about it. They won a an awesome game on a Saturday night against the Patriots on national TV and Jonathan Taylor went bonkers. Then they won a really good game on another Saturday night against the Cardinals and they beat Kyler Murray in Arizona and they were like primed to be like that hot team. And they fell apart in week 17 and he was out, he was gone. And then he goes to Washington and it was not good. And it's like out of the league. Like it was pretty extreme how quick that happened. Like you talk about less than two years ago, he's a bonafide starter in the league. So for the Rams, he's a clear upgrade from from you know what they had on Sunday, but also the Rams starting the season, they thought Stetson Bennett was going to be the backup. They really liked him this summer. He's no longer with the team for obvious personal reasons. So he's not there. So it was kind of like they've been playing with this thought that Rippon could go in, but once he had to go in, it wasn't the answer. Pretty obvious at this point too. Like it teams, you can be as competent as you want, but I think a thing teams seem to value in their backup quarterbacks is like, 
shut up, be good for the locker room, be good for the for the guys around you. Don't be in the news cycle for your own reasons. And I think maybe there were a lot of doubts about Carson Wentz's ability to just quietly be the backup on a team. We'll so see. maybe and, you know, go, going to a situation where the starting quarterback has as many skins on the wall as Matthew Stafford is probably a good thing for him. On the flip side of this, uh, a, a quarterback situation that I'm super excited about. I mean, how could you not be excited about Will Levis? getting you know getting named the starter it's something that i thought needed to happen but i will say i don't know if proud is the right word but i'm happy that mike vrabel was able to make this call because it seems like it goes against his coaching dna to rock with the young guy well the news came out that he was named the starter and i was like that's news like is it even in doubt and yet you're right. Like, you know, Tannehill's making a lot of money and he's been incredibly productive for the Titans over the years. And Vrabel's a very loyal guy when it comes to Tannehill. He's always had his back. So, you know, there's a there's a million different examples of this where, you know, OK, the backup goes in and he might be young. And then uh, whether it be Tom Brady or whether it be Joe Montana or who you name it, I'm not going to give up this job like it is mine. And I go back to when I was covering for FoxSports.com, ironically, uh, training camps. And I guess it was the summer of 2013. And I went up to Seattle and the late Travaris Jackson's there and Matt Flynn is there. And there's a third round rookie who's just awesome and like is it. And you could tell. And I remember talking to the coaches and they're like, he's probably going to be the starter. I'm like, what? You just signed Matt Flynn for all that money. He's probably going to be the starter. Like he's that good. He's outplaying everyone. He's like kind of a leader. And it was Russell Wilson. Um, Not comparing the two situations, but Malik Willis was a third round pick last year. Tannehill is a franchise quarterback making a ton of money. And here's your second round rookie. But after that debut, which was awesome. And I said it on Good Morning Football. I was almost as impressed with Will Evis's toughness from the second week on a short week in Pittsburgh, getting the snot kicked out of him. His jersey was green afterwards because he was hit so many times. And it wasn't just the front of his jersey. The back of his jersey was green because he was on his back the whole game. But he kept on getting up, getting up, getting up. If there's one quality besides competent and trustworthy that Mike Vrabel loves, it is tough. And if anything, Will Levis has shown that toughness. So I'm excited for it. Like there's plenty of time left for the Titans to sneak into the playoffs here and even challenge the Jaguars. Like it's a long season. Jaguars have a really difficult schedule coming up. I want to see what Will Levis can do because two games in, it's really fun. I mean, I, I was just about to say, first of all, no, uh, sorry. Sorry, Mike Vrabel. You, I, I love your coaching style. I love the way we can never write the Titans off, like bet against the Titans as an underdog at your own peril. But the harsh truth is that they've been a pretty boring team since, I don't know, probably 2019. I think 2019 was when they made that run in the playoffs. They've been a, a fairly boring watch since then. But man, you put Will Levis in that game. One of my favorite things in football is when the ball just looks different coming off of a guy's hand. You're like, you know, he just throws like a routine like corner route and you're like, Oh, oh, he can slay. Oh, it. yeah. So I, I can't wait to watch him. And and the, the reason I said I was happy with Rabel, you're right. Maybe the Titans get into the playoffs. But even if they don't, Let's this is it. you get such a window to evaluate this guy. Like, I wonder, does Arthur Smith regret not mm -hmm. giving Desmond Ritter more time last year? I mean, this is, you know, you get these guys on the field while every single week is is so valuable. So I mean, even if the Titans don't go anywhere this year, the reps, you can't you can't substitute that. And I'm just so excited to see him have a chance. My colleague, Jason McCourty, is really smart when it comes to like morning after analysis. And after that first game. 
that he played where he threw four touchdowns and Will Levis was incredible. And I think they beat Atlanta. McCourty said, you know, some of the throws he was doing in that game where you're rolling right and then you're stopping, you're pump faking, and then you're throwing all the way across your body left. That's pro day stuff. Like you don't see that in the NFL. That's the stuff where it's like there's a broomstick in front of you and there's like your college receivers, the guy like that's what Levis was doing in that first game. And it was like, basically, let me showcase this arm talent. Um, And you're right, Dave. So right. That like the second the ball leaves his wrist, it's got that zip. It's got yeah. that arc. Like this guy's a natural thrower. And although his technique and form is a little off and he does this exaggerated pump fake, which I think teams will catch up on like, all right, when he does that whole pump fake thing with his whole body, like he's not throwing it. It's the next one, whatever, two weeks in awesome. And I don't think we've had a quarterback, you know, sling the ball around in Tennessee like that since Steve McNair. Zach, give us all, give us all the fun young quarterbacks. All right. You are, you are appearing on our midweek award show episode that it's, you know, it's a pain to figure out what <laughs> midseason is when there's 17 games, but <laughs> everybody's either played eight or nine. So here we are. Uh, so we're, we're going to do a full list of this, uh, in a different part of the show, but I wanted to hit a couple with you specifically. We'll start, we'll start with the easy one because I I don't know. I just, I assume you're going to agree with me and the rest of America. You made a hell of a call about Puka Nakua, but how is anybody but CJ Stroud, Uh, the offensive rookie of the year? No, it's Stroud. And if anyone else gets a vote right now, they're just trying to make news. I mean, Addison's been really good. Zay Flowers has been really good. You got to like what you saw from Gibbs last week, but he hasn't done it like the Stroud's the dude. He's amazing. 470 and five touchdowns as a rookie in a win where he had to take his team down uh, you know, 80 yards at the end of the game. It, what Stroud is doing, I we, we love hyperbole here. Look, I'm trying to think. Brock Purdy had a pretty good rookie year last year. Got to the NFC Championship game in half a season. Of course, Cam Newton had amazing numbers. Andrew Luck had amazing numbers and took a 1-15 team to the playoff. I think it's not such crazy take to say C.J. Stroud's having the greatest season ever by a rookie quarterback. In the modern era, at the very least, yeah. Like, I can't, I don't know about like the yeah. freaking 50s or whatever. Did but Otto like, yeah. Graham have a better rookie year? Yeah, Maybe. yeah. I, don't I don't know, know but, but yeah. In the, in the time that football has been on television, I I don't think that that's a crazy take because not, yeah, and I'm okay. and I'm hedging my bet a little bit saying like he can have he's not, like numbers wise he doesn't throw picks dude like he doesn't throw interceptions and he throws for a ton of yards and he took a team that was horrible the last three years and now they're you know in the playoff hunt so it all it checks every box and I spoke to Nick Casario the GM of the Texans on my podcast and like I'm like what did you guys see he's like. It was consistency. We had him in, but we also did visits. We're talking is that guy is the same dude every single day and nothing wavers him. Nothing gets him. And you even saw in the post game, like he's smiling, but he's not, he's not out of his mind. Like that to him didn't seem like it was such a surprise that he threw for 470 and five touchdowns and came back in a, an amazing win. Um, he is your offensive rookie of the year. I won't even listen to another option. The other correct, the thing I think you have to point out too is, I think a lot of people liked CJ Stroud, like even with the dumb talk about his S2 score and all that stuff, he still went two overall. A lot yeah. of people thought he was QB one. He was well liked. But the thing is, the supporting cast in Houston scared a lot of people off. Sure. People liked Nico Collins. People liked Tank Dell. But like nobody was thinking of these guys as no. offense lifters in year one. Dalton Schultz, a friend of mine from my time in Dallas, I love the guy, but like Dalton Schultz wound up there on a one-year $6 million deal, which 
when you see Dalton Schultz sign that deal, you're like, oh man, his market wasn't as good as he yes. thought it was. So, and you look at that and, and, the, and the Texans are, are putting together a hell of an offense that doesn't even include the issues with their offensive line. Yes. They've had like five different combinations of offensive line. They have a first year head coach. They have a first year offensive play caller. Like it was all the chips were stacked against him and he's awesome. And that just shows you that we don't know what the hell we're talking about. It's it's such a cool story. I'm I'm thrilled for everybody down in Houston because it's been ugh, it's been a slog for them it's been, for it's, it's yeah. So happy for that. All right, the other one I want to get to, and I I have to bring this up just because I vividly remember the conversation we had about it. A lot of season left, but your preseason defensive player of the year prediction was Max Crosby, and my pushback on that was he plays for a bad team and mm-hmm. awards typically go to guys for good teams. Well, maybe when you do this, you can buck that trend because we asked, we asked our listeners, we polled America and at the halfway point, that's who won. Max Crosby is the lead vote getter for defensive player of the year. And I think it's completely justified, even knowing what miles Garrett, TJ Watt, all those guys are doing. I, I mean, what can you say about what this guy's been up to in Vegas? We had three more sacks last week. He had eight more tackles. He's been the one player that shows up. He's the face of the team. He's everything. And yet, I think Charles Woodson had a lot to do with Crosby getting that push on the pole. I watched this go down. Woodson was complaining <laughs> that Crosby wasn't in the original top four. He puts it out there. And then I almost feel like you guys were shamed to putting Crosby on. And then Woodson starts getting a whole thing going. You know what? Woodson... Let the FoxSports.com poll people do their jobs. You do your job. Don't you worry about Max Crosby. You know, he'll get his love. Truth of the matter is, if I had to vote right now, I'd be torn because I think Miles Garrett's defensive team is doing amazing things. Jim Schwartz's team put gave up 58 yards last week. The Browns are five and three with no offense, uh, even close to what their defense is doing. I compared the Browns defense today on good morning football to like the 2000 Ravens, because not that they're the same or have the same amount of stars, but the discrepancy in the offensive output to the defensive output and just finding a way to win games. And miles Garrett is unblockable and his numbers are as good as Crosby. So I'm either, or on that one, you can go Crosby. It's probably a flashier pick and like, Oh, all right, Crosby, but miles Garrett, he might be the lead dog. It might be the favorite going into this thing. That guy's unbelievable. I have to I have to stand up for myself and I don't mean I don't say this to throw my producers under the bus but I was sit I I was like guys Max Crosby <laughs> Max Crosby should probably be in this poll just FYI just go take a look at what he did the other day and tell me he shouldn't be here okay who, but my push who was originally in the poll that got bumped because I might vote for them because that screwed up too that guy probably deserved it I mean, the, the, the thing is, is there's probably eight guys that have a yeah. legit case. We bumped, I think we bumped Aiden Hutchinson out in okay. favor of Max, which Aiden Hutchinson, totally worthy of conversation. Hey. I think somebody, somebody asked me the other day, they were like, how come Micah's fallen off? And I was like, has Micah fallen off? Like, I don't it, think he has. It's so funny. Cause someone else said to me, like, I think, you know, good morning football. We talk so much about all these players and some Twitter followers, like you guys are so in on Crosby and you guys love Garrett. No one's talking about Micah, who's been the best. And I'm like, Micah's been great. The Cowboys are five and three. He's been great. I, I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily been so much better than, you know, those two guys. No, I don't, I don't, I think right now, I think Garrett and 
Garrett and uh, Max are, I think, are doing more than everyone. And I'll throw TJ Watt in there as well, just so Steelers fans don't get mad at me. But what I did want to push back on, and like I said, I know there's a lot of football left, but compare compare who Max Crosby has helping him with Miles Garrett, and it does it does make me lean in the direction of a Max Crosby just because I mean, there's a, there's a lot of studs on that Cleveland defense, whether you want to talk about Denzel Ward, whether you want to talk about Zadarius Smith on the other side, I'm not saying that Max Cro or that miles Garrett is like getting lifted, but he does have people who can pick up the slack. Who's the second best defender in Las Vegas, I guess. Is it Marcus Peters who just got there at the start of the season? Yeah, I don't I don't have that name for you. Is it Robert Spillane? I have Robert no Spillane. Yeah, I, I just I think it's easy to go into a game against the Raiders and say triple that guy because he's the guy that's going to ruin this for us. Whereas I do think there are other guys in Cleveland that can step up uh, not to take credit away from Miles Garrett, but that would be my argument for Max Crosby. Of course, plenty more football to watch like that's. We get all juiced up about these awards and a month from now, it'll look completely different. That's just the way it goes. But Peter love so much talking with you as always, my dude, we will, uh, we'll revisit this. We'll, we'll get into more as we do every week, but as always, I appreciate the time. You're the man, dude. Thank you. A couple of words we didn't have time to pull y'all about, but I want to at least shout out NFL offensive player of the year. I mentioned in the MVP conversation, I think, Tyreek Hill feels like a runaway candidate. A lot of football left, but that's where I would go with that. Maybe keep an eye on Christian McCaffrey, obviously having an amazing season. If it's not one of those two guys, I would be very, very impressed. NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year? I don't know who it goes to if not Jalen Carter at this point in the season. The guy has looked every bit as good as we thought he would. Keeping an eye on Devin Witherspoon, the corner in Seattle, but I think it's going to take a hell of an effort to unseat Jalen Carter in Philadelphia. Speaking of which, that is the second half of what we polled y'all about. Not so much awards as prognostications, I guess. Taking a look at where we think this season is going, we polled y'all about who you think is going to win the NFC as well as the AFC, as well as what our Super Bowl matchup and eventual winner is looking at. Let's start it in the NFC. Pretty obvious candidates, I would say, based on the first half of the season. You had the choice between the Philadelphia Eagles, the San Francisco 49ers, the Detroit Lions, and the Dallas Cowboys. With all due respect to the fan bases in the NFC South, I think most people would agree that those are the favorites to win the conference. And shockingly, I say that so sarcastically, the lead vote getter wound up being the Philadelphia Eagles, the reigning NFC champions, the best record in football, perhaps the best team in football. I think through the first half of the season, I think that's a fair thing to say. Can't call it shocking. They can play any type of game you want. That's what we've talked about all year. They can be as physical as you want. They can do some of the, the high-flying finesse stuff. They've got one of the best receiver duos in the NFL. They have arguably the best offensive line in the NFL. They have an MVP candidate at quarterback. And just as soon as Jalen Hurts' knee issues seems like it's really starting to affect him, they get a well-timed bye week for him to rest up and recover. They can win on the air. They can win on the ground. I just mentioned Jalen Carter has been as advertised. Pass rush isn't putting up the disgusting numbers that we saw last season, 70-plus sacks setting an NFL record. It's still plenty good. Carter's a part of that. 
You're getting incredible contributions from Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick. They, that pass rush is going to keep them in a lot of games, make life difficult on every quarterback they play. The biggest critique you can come up with for the Eagles so far is probably their secondary. It's been very, we'll call it inconsistent. They have had some good games, but they have given up a ton of yardage. To their credit, they haven't given up any games. Like the one loss Philly has had this season, not due to their secondary so much as their inability to hold on to the football. And they traded for Kevin Byard. We'll see how he continues to acclimate to that defense. But that, that I just made the, the overarching point. Across a season and a half now, the only real blueprint we've seen for beating Philadelphia is for them to not take care of the football or for an opportunistic defense to get their hands on it. Both their regular season losses with Jalen Hurts as the starter they they were 0-4 in turnover ratio, four turnovers against the Jets this year, did the same thing last year against Washington. Only one turnover in that Super Bowl loss to Kansas City, but when it's a scoop and score, fumble return for a touchdown, that has a way of swinging a game. You better be able to take the ball away from Philly if you're going to beat them. Can't say it's surprising for y'all to say they are the Super Bowl favorites at midseason. Over in the AFC, four great teams to choose from, but I can't say I'm surprised to see Y'all's selection, it's the reigning champs. The Kansas City Chiefs, once again predicted to come through the AFC. And li listen to me, Chiefs fans. I don't want to hear a single person in Kansas City. Keep that team accountable. Don't let Patrick Mahomes or anybody else on that team say they were doubted or they were disrespected or nobody believed in them. It's bull. Stop it. The Chiefs have maybe looked like their typical selves twice in nine games this season. We'll say Chicago and the win against the LA Chargers. Patrick Mahomes is on pace for a career high in interceptions. The Chiefs, are, as we've talked about, are struggling to find a second reliable receiving option other than Travis Kelsey. They're averaging just 23 points per game this season. That would be the worst of the Patrick Mahomes era by a full five points almost a touchdown worse than usual. And yet, they run their division once again. They're currently in line to have the AFC bye week, thanks to a tiebreaker with Baltimore, number one in the AFC once again. They look like a lock to host playoff football once again. And they're the favorite to finish first in the AFC and win the conference yet again. Miss me with the idea that anybody's disrespecting the Kansas City Chiefs. If anything, Maybe they've shown that they are undeserving of respect this year, but we know better. It's a long season. The Chiefs have a long time to, to get it together. And by the way, they don't even need to. They're 7-2. They have the best record in the conference. It's so impressive what the Chiefs do. Tired of people acting like we don't respect what is going on with that franchise. To be, to be clear, so much focus on Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, all that. A lot of the success this year is due to a fantastic defense. They've had one of the best defenses in the league all year, and the exciting part about it, as we talked about after the Dolphins win, is the majority of it is young. Yes, Chris Jones is a beast, but so many pieces on this Kansas City defense are within the first two years of their career. That's got to be an exciting bonus for Mahomes, for Andy Reid, to know, A, while we figure out what we want to be on offense, 
we've got a unit that can hold people to less than 20 points, occasionally even less than that. And even when we do have things clicking in the postseason, we've got a defense that can help us over the finish line. Hasn't always been the case. Remember last year, Chiefs needed 38 points to get past Philadelphia. I can't wait to see what this defense looks like in the playoff, but it is, it's a testament to what the Chiefs are and who they have. Yes, they are predicted to come out of the AFC. Can't say I blame them. Although, let's take it to the Super Bowl. So if you're paying attention, you, the listeners, are predicting a rematch of Super Bowl 57 in Super Bowl 58. Y'all have it as Eagles against Chiefs in Las Vegas in February, which I looked this up just to make sure I'm not crazy. Just a word of warning. There have been 57 Super Bowl pairings so far. We've had plenty of repeat matchups over the years. I get that. But only once in the history of the NFL has the Super Bowl featured the same matchup in back-to-back years. That was all the way back in 1992 and 93. The Dallas Cowboys beat the Buffalo Bills two years in a row. Super Bowls 27 and 28. Keep in mind, both of those games predated the salary cap. That's how long ago that happened. Salary cap took effect in, effect in 1994. So in this league of ultimate parity, where the salary cap and the draft exist to keep things like repeat Super Bowl matchups from happening, it hasn't been a thing. Y'all are saying you think it will be a thing again in 2023, 2024. I, I can't say you're wrong. And let's let's go ahead and reveal it. I guess if there is a rematch, what we're hearing from y'all is it will be the Philadelphia Eagles winning their second franchise Super Bowl, avenging their loss to Kansas City last year with a Lombardi trophy. Look, I mean, the first one was amazing, so don't get me wrong. I would be perfectly fine seeing it again, but actually, we don't have to wait till February. The Eagles and the Chiefs play week 11, so after this coming weekend, both teams on their bye week right now, getting a chance, get, get all rested, get ready to go, Eagles-Chiefs, the Super Bowl matchup taking place in Week 11. I believe that game is at Arrowhead Stadium, so the atmosphere bound to be electric. Maybe a Super Bowl preview. According to y'all, it would be. If that game gets played, based on what we've seen so far, I would be sorely tempted to pick the Eagles. They've been the better of the two teams through nine weeks, but you're not going to hear me pick against Patrick Mahomes on the record, at least not at this moment in time. We'll see what happens. Can't wait for the regular season version. We'll see if we get a postseason version. But Eagles and Chiefs, widely predicted to be the best two teams in the NFL heading into the season. They have been the best two teams in the NFL so far this season, but we're only halfway through. We'll see where it goes. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. That brings us to Thursday Night Football, and what better way could we ask to kick off the second half of the season than just a real treat for the sickos? A real, I'm just going to say it, a, a stinker of a game, unfortunately. The Carolina Panthers traveling up to Chicago to face the Bears. 
it was supposed to be a pretty juicy storyline. The headline was supposed to be about Bryce Young, the Panthers' number one overall pick, going against the team that traded away from the number one overall pick. Remember, the offseason trade, DJ Moore went to Chicago. The number one overall pick went to Carolina. Bryce Young supposed to be on the up and up. The Bears are supposed to be a team on the rise. It was all set up to be really a pretty sexy game for two teams that nobody was really expecting to contend. This was supposed to be two inspiring young teams going after it. And really, the storyline is, I guess, this is just a perfect example of how seasons can get away from you and how ugly it can really look by the midpoint of a season that's not going your way. Justin Fields, that's the big one to know. Justin Fields not going to play in this game, still still dealing with that thumb injury he suffered against Minnesota a couple weeks ago. Word came down Wednesday night. Fields is officially not ready to go. That paves the way for Tyson Bajant to make his fourth start, the undrafted free agent out of Shepard, Division II, West Virginia. But it's not, it's not just Fields that takes away from the oomph of this game. The, the list is long, unfortunately. The Bears are also missing veteran O-lineman Nate Davis, star linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, their priciest free agent signing of the offseason, also not available. The Panthers don't have Brian Burns, arguably the best player on their entire roster, their star edge rusher. They also ruled out cornerback C.J. Henderson, receiver LaVisca Chenault, veteran receiver D.J. Chark is also doubtful to play. Quick. Name, okay, I mean, DJ Moore still expected to play. As far as, like, household names go, that's that's about as best as I can give you for this matchup. Adam Thielen still kicking around as well, having a very nice season. Unfortunately, he's just about the only one on this Panthers team. So, I'm sorry. Rather, rather than get into who's going to win and why, I guess the, the Bears are three-and-a-half-point favorites. They are playing at home. I would probably rock with them, although this is a good opportunity for Bryce Young to get a win in a season where the Panthers probably aren't going to have a whole lot of them. Fortunately for them, they got away from the donut by beating the Houston Texans a couple weeks ago. But when you look at their schedule, not a not a ton of great opportunities to get a win. Maybe this is one of them. But all of that said, the intrigue in this game is not necessarily about who wins and why on Thursday night. For me, it's just an interesting team-building question of who can remake their team faster and who does a better job of it and which situation do you prefer? Would you rather be Carolina, who has committed to a young quarterback? You've got the most important position in the game taken care of. And to be fair to Bryce, yeah, obviously, C.J. Stroud's going to win Rookie of the Year. C.J. Stroud has been so amazing. I'm I'm not trying to to like completely make excuses for Bryce Young, but I I like what I have seen from him in a bad situation. So if you're Carolina, I still feel good that Bryce Young can be a guy that you build around. But now the question is this: the talent around him is clearly not good enough. The Panthers' offensive line is a wreck. Their receiving talent not getting it done. There's not enough juice there. There's not enough separation. Their number one overall pick is now with Chicago, thanks to that trade. So would you rather have the quarterback not have as many assets as you would prefer to to improve the rest of the team, though the Panthers do have cap space. We'll get to that. Or would you rather be Chicago 
and have draft picks galore, two in the in the first round, both of which will probably be top 10, maybe even top five picks. But who knows what the Bears' sense of direction or, or purpose is in the long term. We don't know if they have a quarterback. We don't know Justin Fields' future. Haven't had a chance to watch him play in the better part of a month. So where would you rather be? Would you rather have your quarterback situation somewhat settled and questions everywhere else? Or would you rather have nothing settled but a ton of resources to get it done? That's the situation that we find ourselves in. It's got to sting for the Panthers that no matter what happens in this game, the Chicago Bears benefit. If Carolina wins, the Bears record gets worse. They inch closer to that number one overall pick. If Chicago wins, the Panthers sink to one and eight. And as we said, the Bears own that pick. And so that pick gets closer to being number one overall. It's entirely possible the Bears will own two of the top five picks in this draft. But even without that pick, I don't think all is lost for Carolina. They don't own the first round pick, but they do have six picks in the 2024 draft, including three that should be borderline top 100 picks. You've got a second round pick, a third round pick, and a fourth round pick. If the Panthers have one of the two or three worst records in the league, which I think they will, that fourth round pick will be somewhere around pick 105, pick 110. So you're picking in the 30s, again in the 60s or 70s, and then very, very early into the 100s. You've got big opportunities to add good good draft prospects, even if you don't have a first round pick. More importantly than that, they'll have money to burn. Projections, it's hard to nail this stuff down this far in advance, but projections put the Panthers somewhere in the neighborhood of $50 million in cap space. Even after they sign Brian Burns, they should have money. And God, please, Panthers, sign Brian Burns. You've rebuffed trade offers for him for two straight years. If some of the rumored packages are to be believed, you've turned down as many as two first-round picks to keep him. So please do. Please lock Brian Burns into a long-term deal when this season is over, and they'll still have money to spend to improve their team in the offseason. Unfortunately for them, I think even more so than their receivers, I think the Panthers' biggest problem is their offensive line. Left tackle Iki Aquanu, who was a big-time pick just a couple years ago, he's been struggling, and the veterans all over that offensive line haven't been a ton better. Offensive line is a hard position to address in free agency because there just aren't that many plus starters available, and the ones that are are very expensive, but I think you've got a shot to do that, and they can absolutely upgrade the receiver core. We already heard, remember, the rumors around the trade deadline that the Panthers really, really wanted a star receiver in at the deadline. They didn't get that done, but a lot of those guys will be available in just a few months, whether it's T. Higgins coming up on the end of his deal in Cincinnati, whether it's Mike Evans. Would Mike Evans be willing to sign at the end of his career with a division rival? I don't know, but you could at least throw a ton of money at him and see what he says. Hollywood Brown, Calvin Ridley, Michael Pittman Jr. in Indianapolis. A lot of names available that you can use to upgrade that roster. And like I said, not a first-round pick, but some very, very solid draft picks available to them. I hope I hope this is doing something to make Panthers fans feel better. I do still feel good about Bryce Young, and by March of next year, I think we'll feel a lot better about their roster one way or the other. On the flip side of this, like I said, it at least 
I can piece together the direction that I think the Panthers are going to go for the Chicago bears. It feels like a free for all man, because win or lose, we now know Justin Fields won't play in this game. When this game is over, they'll have seven more games, eight weeks to evaluate Justin Fields. However you want to slice it. There have been some bright spots. Fittingly, the Thursday night game against Washington comes to mind was so close to wrapping up a really impressive win against Denver before the bears completely fell apart. He's had some nice moments, but I think the brutal reality is prior to the thumb injury, the results were not appreciably different from what we've already seen, which is to say inconsistent, which is to say not convincing that this is a guy that you want to tie your long-term future to. Problem with that is the Bears will be out of time when this season's over, no matter how many games Justin Fields plays. They've got to decide on the fifth-year option on his contract by this spring. So basically... Teams can pick up the fifth-year option on a first-round picks contract in the spring before their fourth year. So the Bears have until May to decide, do we want Justin Fields to be under contract for just one more season or two? You got to figure that out. And then, of course, the very compounding issue is the two major first-round picks, which figure to be at the top of the draft in a year where there are going to be a ton of amazing quarterbacks. That's the issue that's going to linger over this team because everything else that's wrong with the Bears, I can build a roadmap to figuring out. They traded a second-round pick for Montez Sweat. They needed help on their defensive front. They needed an edge rusher. They signed Montez Sweat to a major extension shortly after that. We can argue the merits of it, whether they should have done it, but the point is they've addressed a big need there. They already signed Tremaine Edmonds. They already acquired Justin Fields. They're going to have a ton of salary cap space again this year. That's the problem when you're a very bad team. You don't have contracts taking up a ton of your finances. They can go out and add to their offensive line in the offseason. They can sign secondary receiver threats if they want to. They can give some of that money to Jalen Johnson, the cornerback who's entering, who is in the last year of his deal. There was some speculation they'd trade him, couldn't get the price they wanted. They can tag him. They can sign him to an extension got players in the secondary on the front at linebacker. They have draft picks to use. They're going to have two big ones. They've got more uh, after that. All of that honestly sounds good and fixable. And I would envy the GM that gets to decide what to do with it after you figure out what to do with the quarterback. And I'm sorry if this sounds harsh. It's hard to imagine the Bears will own two top five, top 10 picks in this draft and not take a Caleb Williams or a Drake may or whatever other quarterback it is that you fancy, I would imagine where the bears will be picking. I would guess it would be one of those two. Even if Justin Fields has seven amazing weeks after coming back from this injury, going back to my other point, you have to decide on his option, which is expensive. You have to decide on whether he's worth an extension, which good luck figuring out what that would look like, or you can just draft a rookie who immediately comes in on a much more affordable contract that resets the clock on how you're able to work your finances around the most important position in the sport. Is it fair to Justin Fields? Maybe not, but that is the nature of the NFL. And remember, Ryan Poles, the GM in Chicago, did not draft Justin Fields. Those types of decisions matter, whether it's front offices trying to protect their pride or how they evaluate a player. 
that stuff matters. If the guy making the decisions didn't have a say in bringing the existing quarterback into the organization, all bets are off. All of that is swirling around in my head every single time I watch the Bears. It's a bummer I'm not going to get to watch Justin Fields because, again, I mean, he needs the opportunity. Whether he stakes his claim as the Bears starter moving forward or he could be playing for his future at his next stop, whether or not he has trade value to the Bears when the offseason gets here. There's so many reasons why it's better and more fun for Justin Fields to be on the field. Pardon the pun. It's just not the case right now. It's part of why I spent the last eight minutes talking about where these teams go from here instead of the game. Such as it is, that is life in the NFL. We watch the games we get. Is an interesting opportunity for Bryce Young. I hope I gave him proper credit. Standalone primetime game. Big chance to show how far he's come this season. Something to watch. Am, am I selling you at all? I don't know. We'll see. Either way, I'll be watching I'll let you know what you missed if you don't feel like watching. We'll see how it goes. All right, one last thing. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I had a really cool opportunity earlier, had a chance to catch up with none other than the host of Fox NFL Sunday, Kurt Menefee, dropped by. If you're unaware, this weekend being Veterans Day is the annual Salute to Veterans show, Fox NFL Sunday, going out to Colorado Springs and the Air Force Academy for their annual show honoring our veterans, our troops. Had a chance to talk to Kurt about that. Check it out. All right, Kurt, thank you so much for joining us. It's it's become a time-honored tradition here at Fox. You and the rest of the crew will be broadcasting Fox NFL Sunday from the United States Air Force Academy this weekend. Over the, the years that y'all have been doing this, I mean, how much how much does this show to how do, how much does it mean to you? And and I guess how much has it grown? to be such a meaningful part of the show here over the last decade or so. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me, Dave. You know, this thing has grown year by year, um, but it's in part because it's, I think the best thing we do all year. And I think all the guys on the show would agree. We talk about it each and every year when we announce that we're going to do it. Oh, how much we love it. And it's genuine when we say that because it's just, one, it's a chance for us to give back. And, you know, people always talk about giving back and saying thanks and appreciate, showing your appreciation to the men and women who serve in our military. And this is one chance to do it. But one of the reasons it's special is because it just reminds you of how, using the word again, special the men and women are that serve in the armed forces. You know, we're going to the Air Force Academy this year in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And, you know, we've done the, the uh, West Point. Uh, we've done uh, the Naval Academy. We've done bases in Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, in Virginia. Um, we've done them in California. We've done Afghanistan. We've done um, a ship in the Mediterranean. We did Qatar last year. And as you go out and you visit and you realize, again, first of all, uh, it shows me getting old. You realize how young they are, but you realize how sharp and you go, if, especially when you get to the military academies, you're like, if this is the future of the country and these are the hands that will be taken over, we have nothing to worry about as crazy as things seem today, day in and day out. And so it's just a fun day for us. And, and I know it's a fun day for them and it's enjoyable for all of us. 
you kind of you took my next question right off my notes, which is I you know I know you all have been to the Army Academy and you've been to the Naval yeah. Academy. So now you get to have the Air Force twist on it. Yeah. Uh, what's what are you looking forward to most from from this branch of the military? Seeing well, what the, the Air Force Academy likes to talk about how smart their kids are. You know, first of all, I think anybody who gets into any service academy is smarter than the average bear, as they like to say. So uh, I, I think that that's what I'm looking forward to. But as part of the show, you know, Rob Gronkowski is going to join us uh, this week on the show. You know, he's, he's with us from time to time and he's going to jump out of an airplane live. Now there will be a parachute with him. <laughs> so you have to make sure with Gronk, you never quite know, but he's going to do it live on the air. And so I'm looking forward to seeing that because, you know, it's one thing to sit around and go, Oh, I'll jump out of a plane and I'm not nervous and I'll do that. It's different when it comes time to strap it on and go up. And you know, I think it's going to be 11,000 feet. He's going to jump from and have to do that live on television. So I'm interested to see if he's able to step up to the plate and do it. Cause I know I couldn't, you couldn't remotely get me to even think about doing that. I was okay. So, and I mean, that sounds like the most Gronk thing, Gronk thing imaginable, yes, right? But exactly. So did they bring that to any of the rest of y'all? Did everybody else shoot it down or were they just like, no, this is Gronk's bit. I tell you what, it didn't get to me. So I don't know if they offered it and Gronk jumped on it or they just decided, hey, this is like you said, this is Gronk special. So I, I know I didn't get asked to do it. And I, I look around the room and I go, hmm, I don't know if we want Terry or, or Jimmy doing it either. So I think that eliminates a lot of people right there. But this is right up Gronk's alley. And I think it's going to be perfect. But we do that. You know, and I think one of the things is we get to spend some time. Uh, we're going in on I'm going out on Friday and we'll spend all day Saturday doing activities. Uh, and events with the the cadets there at the Air Force Academy. And we've done it everywhere we stopped. When we went to Afghanistan, we spent four days, actually we spent four days in Doha, Qatar on the way there, and then four days in Afghanistan. Um, and you know, you know, eating with the troops, playing football with them, uh, playing video games with them, hanging out where they hang out, and just trying to get a chance to, to get to know them and not have this be, oh, we're popping in, doing a TV show, using you as a background and getting the hell out of here. Uh, and I think that that is one of the things that happens a, a lot of times when we talk about, oh, we're saluting the troops and we're doing this. And when I say we, I mean from a television standpoint, that they wind up being used as props rather than actually uh, being recognition for what they do and serving them and being there to show them that you genuinely appreciate them. And that's one thing that we try and make sure that we do while we're there, not just while we're on camera. I feel like that's got to be a point of pride for y'all. Do you do you yeah. get that you get that feedback from them that hey, oh please, we appreciate Absolutely. this. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think in particular when we do the overseas shows, which we've been doing, you know, probably every two to three years, um, because I think a lot of the military members that are overseas feel like they're forgotten. Uh, you know, part of it there's a time difference and they're away from their families and all that kind of stuff. But we're there, and it's a reminder that they aren't forgotten. And they know that you know people are paying attention to them. They're on national television that week for a couple of hours. They get to talk football and then get to watch football, things that they don't always get to do. And so I know that the appreciation comes from them from that standpoint. But even when we do the service academy or, or some of the military bases, as I mentioned, in, in the different states around the country, the troops are – it's so weird because we go there to say thank you to them. And they tell us how much they appreciate us doing it. and it's beyond humbling because you're like we're not doing anything you're the ones that are sacrificing you're the one that are you know putting your lives on the line or giving up time with your family or different points of your education in order to do this to serve our country we are here to thank you but they are really really so appreciative of just being able to hang out talk football 
you know, and, and shoot the crap with the guys. I mean, how often do you get a chance? You know, you got Hall of Famers and Michael Strahan, Jimmy Johnson, Terry Bradshaw, Howie Long. You know, Gronk will be a Hall of Famer someday. And all those guys are just hanging out and you're able to talk football with them or have lunch with them and those kinds of things. And so I think they appreciate it from that standpoint, for sure. I'm sure it's, I have to imagine it's an incredibly humbling experience. You've you've mentioned I, I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but with all these amazing <laughs> locations you've mentioned, you know, Afghanistan mm-hmm. and Qatar last yeah. year come to mind. Is there a, a memory or a moment that stands out to you from one of these shows that really stuck with you over the years? You know, from the shows, I think well, two memories stand out to me, and they're both from our trip to Afghanistan, which was in 2009. And I um, do remember at the end, and it was 100% spontaneous, it was not planned, is that, you know, TB likes to fashion himself as a singer. And so TB decided to sing God Bless America at the end of, uh, of the show. And all the troops joined in and that wound up being actually the very end of the show and that's how we ended it but it was something that was unplanned and it was just a moment that you could feel you know it was it was palpable you could feel the emotion in in the we were in a big tent uh but in the building and and that meant a lot to not only those troops but i think a lot of people watching on television and that was a very special moment Uh, unfortunately the other moment that i remember is that when we were coming back we flew on a big c-17 which i mean they carry when we were going there, I think we had four Humvees on it that they opened up the back and they just dropped out with a parachute and it would land in, in Afghanistan and the troops would get it. Um, so it's that big. And so they had troops. But unfortunately, going back, we had to fly back uh, beside the body of a soldier who had been killed in action that day. And um, because the military promises the family that the body will be brought home within 24 hours. And, you know, they asked us to take part in the ceremonies, which we didn't feel that we deserved to, but they insisted. Um, but you're there with, with, you know, his mates, um, and the people that served with him, uh, and that knew him and you're, you know, you have that coffin there and it's a, a stark reminder, uh, of what, you know, the war in Afghanistan was at the time, but the sacrifices that these young men and women make that we, you know, say, thank you for your service. And it sounds hollow sometimes, but we should definitely mean it because it's a real, real sacrifice. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think I wouldn't need the reminder, but I, I appreciate it because you're right. Uh, that is that is a stark example of of why y'all do this and what it's all about. I appreciate it. Looking forward to watching the show this weekend. Kurt, really appreciate the time. I'm looking forward to doing the show this weekend, and thank you for the time, Dave. Thanks again to Kurt Menefee for stopping by. Thanks to all of y'all for voting in our midseason award polls. We are on to the second half. We will be back Friday jam-packed show some really good matchups this weekend we've got 49ers jags to talk about we've got cleveland baltimore some grudge matches on the schedule of course i will have all things carolina chicago friday morning or maybe maybe some things we'll see how it goes either way gonna be a great week 10 preview episode we will see you there friday in the meantime if you wouldn't mind subscribing on spotify find us on apple podcasts find the youtube channel Wherever you get your podcast, wherever you get your NFL content, we would appreciate your support. We do appreciate your support. I will catch y'all next time, week 10 on deck already. Don't know how it got here. Looking forward to the second half of the season. We'll see y'all soon.